You are listening to You Should Write a Book with Camille Pagan. I'm Camille, the best-selling author of 10 books, a master certified coach, and the founder of Even Better Co. Each week, I share ideas about creating an even better author career. Ready to reach your writing goals? Let's dive in. A quick note, the Career Novelist Mastermind begins October 12th. This six-month group coaching program is designed for a small group of novelists who are serious about reaching their big writing and publishing goals. If you've ever thought, just tell me how to do it, you're in luck. In this mastermind, I lay out a strategic step-by-step plan for writing an unputdownable story, building a brand and platform that leads to more opportunities and, yes, more money for you as an author, and finding readers and turning them into fans who can't wait for your next novel. If you're interested, visit evenbetter.co, that's .co forward slash mastermind to learn more. This is the only time I'm offering this mastermind in late 2023 and early 2024, so I encourage you to apply if you know that you're ready to take your career to the next level. So hello, writers. I just returned from the most magical week in Chicago, where I attended the Women's Fiction Writers Association's 10th annual conference. I had the chance to meet many of my clients in person for the first time, catch up with others who I have met before, and connect with so many different writers at all stages of their careers. It was really amazing. I also got to have lunch with a bunch of authors who published with Lake Union, who's my publisher, and that was a blast too. Nancy Johnson, she's the superstar author of The Kindest Lie, gave the opening keynote And she talked about her path to publication and how perseverance and community, particularly the WFWA community, helped her reach her goals. It was so inspiring to me. On Saturday morning, I gave the closing keynote, and I'm going to share that speech with you today. Several people who had planned to attend the conference were unable to do so because of last-minute issues, um, whether with health, family, other emergencies. Also, I think that what I share really applies to all writers, not just those writing women's fiction. In fact, after my speech, the woman who was in charge of the AV for the event came up to me to say how much it resonated with her, even though she doesn't write. And honestly, that was one of the highlights of the conference for me. So without further ado, here's my speech. I hope you enjoy it. Of course you can. Whatever it is you want for your publishing career, It is possible for you. You can have it. And I'm going to suggest that you already know that deep down. It's why you're here. Do you know that Rumi quote, what you seek is seeking you? The translation is actually said to be closer to what you want is already in you. Maybe it's just a kernel of belief buried deep within you, but each of you knows that you can. That's why you traveled here. It's why you spent your time and your money to be with your peers, to learn how to go farther in your author career. I notice this with coaching clients and people who come to my workshops, including the free ones. I already know that they can reach their goals, and I'm never surprised when they do. So why is that? Well, it's not because I have this magical author picker. It's because they're putting in the work. People who don't want to or who are unwilling to put in the work either lack the true desire Or in some cases, their disbelief has won. But you, you are doing the work. And yes, taking your time to do something, to listen, to consider, to put precious minutes of your life and your brain power 
into something like a conference or listening to a speech. That is a form of doing the work. Personally, I believe that we want what we want because part of us knows it's available to us. Some research even shows that this is how we select romantic partners. We subconsciously and accurately assess who is actually likely to choose us. Now, I've never wanted to be a professional basketball player. And I think my brain knew that that was never going to happen for me. However, I wanted to be a writer from the moment that it clicked, that a human wrote the book that I was reading, and that I could possibly be a human like that. At that point, I was already in love with writing. I loved to just pick up a pen, write in a notebook, and I do believe that I understood that I could be a writer one day. And I bet if you're listening to this, that's true for you too. It's pretty incredible. That said, I'm sure at least a few people listening are thinking, okay, Camille, sure. I don't believe you, but I'll humor you for 15 to 20 minutes. If that's you, please do. Stay with me. And know that while I'm a little bit woo, I'm a whole lot of research. So I'm not going to throw platitudes or toxic positivity at you. I'm going to give you info that's backed by neuroscience and data. Since this is a speech, I'm not going to name every study I'm referring to because you would fall asleep really quickly. But as a longtime health and psychology journalist, I take research really seriously. And as a coach and a speaker, I only offer what's actually been proven either by scientists or real people in publishing or both. So as a former magazine editor, I do tend to think in listen numbers. It's just kind of how my brain organizes information. So that's why I'm going to share five reasons why you might think you can't do it, meaning reach your big goal. And in every case, I'm going to ask you to consider those reasons from another angle, maybe even change your mind about them. And after all of that, I'm going to share the single major thing you can do about any disbelief so you can make more progress towards your big writing goals. I'm going to start each of these five items with but, because that's what I hear from my clients, my colleagues, and my friends all the time. But Camille, they say, and then they tell me why they can't when I know that they can. So quick caveat before I dive in, this first item is going to require me to refer to a curse word. I'm not going to say the word because it's on the podcast and I don't want that big E slapped on my podcast, but I still wanted to give you a heads up. So I'll do it really quickly. Number one, but publishing is an a-hole. So last September, I went to a writing retreat in Albuquerque with many of my fellow WFWA writers, and I lost count of how many times someone said to me, publishing is an a-hole. Now, this is not unique to WFWA or any other writing organization. Writers everywhere say this to me. It's become this kind of motto. And I have to point out that personally, I'm sure I've said it at least one or two times, and I do think it's really funny. Also, we mean it. I want to tell you a little story. Like probably a lot of you listening, and I say that just based on statistics about women's experiences in the U.S. and in the world, I had a lot of trauma during my childhood. On top of that, my family struggled financially. We were pretty poor, especially when I was very young. What I was fortunate to have was access to books. I had some at home. My grandmother, who was lovely and loving and a voracious reader, she would give me any book she read. Then there was my local library, which was my home away from home. I remember when I was standing in the doorway of that library thinking, 
I've read everything here that interests me and lots of books that didn't interest me. I read them anyways. And when I think back to that sad, scared seven-year-old girl, to that 10-year-old girl, 14, 18, I think about how she got by, how she found hope because of publishing. Because publishing is how we have books, friends. Publishing gave me books, which gave me dreams, which gave me courage, which gave me a career and a life. It was my gateway toward moving away from trauma to understand that there was a different possibility that I could have for myself and later my children and my extended family. So fast forward to me at 30, 31, 32, I have my first book deal. It's six figures. Now, it wasn't all smooth sailing from there, and I'll talk more about that shortly. But I, the scholarship kid who chose to work in publishing, which, by the way, does not pay very well, and I marry a man who also works in publishing, I am able to put a down payment on a house that is small but nice and in a good school district. I'm able to clothe and care for my children. I'm able to put them in preschool, which I couldn't afford before that. I did not think that publishing was an a-hole then, and I still don't. Publishing has given me so many friendships. It's given me the ability to connect with thousands of readers. And those are humans whose lives I've touched in some small way. That's incredible to me. I'm guessing that each one of you listening has had your life changed by books. That is, by publishing. Now, is publishing fair? No, of course not. Nothing is fair, unfortunately. The playing field is not level, and there's a lot we can and should do to change that. For starters, we need diverse books. Every book published by a woman or otherwise marginalized person levels the uneven playing field a little more. I'm going to argue that we need better payments for midless authors. We need more support. I am not preaching radical acceptance here. But words have power. Even though we're not always cognizant of it, they change how we show up. Again, this is not woo. It's the basic cognitive behavioral model pioneered by Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck. Your thoughts and beliefs, and by the way, a belief is just a thought you repeat so often in your head that your brain begins to process it as truth. It deeply impacts your emotions and mood. That, in turn, impacts how you behave, which then changes the result that you get. So if you're constantly thinking that your industry is your enemy, you are going to show up differently than you would if you vowed to work with it rather than against it. And I'm going to talk to you more about how to do that shortly. In the meantime, here is one thing I want to remind you of. Most of the people, the so-called gatekeepers that writers so often talk about, they chose this business out of love. They could be making more money and in many cases working a lot less in other industries. They chose publishing because they, like us, love books. They're not the enemy. At the end of the day, as my longtime editor, Jody Warshaw, said on my podcast, when it comes to publishing, books are commerce. They are. And we're better off when we accept and work with that. Now, I'm not telling you not to complain. Sometimes blowing off steam is just the thing. But be careful how often you repeat publishing is an a-hole. Every time you do, you're reaffirming that story in your brain. Number two, but I need to be realistic. So tell me, what is realistic? Now, I know the statistics. 
Less than 0.1% of people will ever finish a novel manuscript. Not publish it, finish the draft. Hello, my fellow literary lottery winners. I say that because almost all of you listening have already beat the odds and finished a book. Why should the rest of your career be any different? When we say realism, what we usually mean is getting my hopes up is going to jinx me. And here's how to tell if that applies to you, because the brain is very, very sneaky. You may think, I don't think that. Well, actually, you do. So are you afraid to say your goals out loud or to let yourself dream big? Do you routinely fail to acknowledge milestones or celebrate your successes? Do you constantly remind yourself of the statistics, I say that in air quotes, on the likelihood of succeeding as an author? When you have a win, do you brace for impact because you expect that something bad is about to happen? If so, I get it. I've done every single one of those things. And research shows that it doesn't work that way. Western culture pushes this idea that sharing your desires, you know, for example, telling people what you wish for if you blow out the candles on your birthday cake, then they won't come true. Those sort of ideas are so prevalent. Most of us have also been raised to expect that good is followed by bad. And interestingly, research shows that the waiting for the other shoe to drop phenomenon is particularly prevalent among ambitious, driven people. But these superstitions, because that's what they really are, they're not true. One recent study found that sharing your goals with a person whose opinion you value makes you more likely to reach those goals. Now, don't share your dreams with everyone. Not everyone deserves that. But do tell the people who support you. Likewise, myriad research shows that positive emotions, so excitement, optimism, and hope, they don't set you up for disappointment. Instead, they actually increase your likelihood of reaching your goals. And that most likely comes back to that cognitive model I shared with you. So rather than hijacking your career ambitions, feeling good and expecting the best actually helps you accomplish them. And by all of that, I mean get your hopes up. Here is some useful realism for you. Few people who ever did something outside of the realm of normal did so with realistic expectations. Being realistic, especially as women, keeps us showing up and playing small. Let's let go of that idea and aim for extraordinary. Number three, it's taking so long. So on the topic of realism, publishing does tend to be a long process. Even for super prolific writers, the process of writing a whole book and then all of the other steps involved in selling it and or publishing it can take months and even years. Then there's what it takes to even get to your first published book. Nancy Johnson spoke about this so eloquently. Sometimes you have to write and query multiple books that don't sell for any number of reasons. Maybe you do 17 drafts. Or like me, maybe you sell your first book and then the next three that you write don't work out. There's a four-year gap between my first and second published novels. Now, I did repeat that gap. I learned a whole lot and I got a lot of support. So I didn't turn that gap into a pattern because I didn't want to. But I'm sharing that to remind you that everyone's story is different. And no story, even Colleen Hoover's, and she's spoken about this, is all roses. And that's the job we signed up for. It just is. And I think that a slight paradigm shift can go a long way toward making that job feel less like a string of roadblocks and more like the path to success. 
In music, we respect and acknowledge the importance of practice. Same chords and notes played over and over and over. That's true for other forms of art too. Same brushstrokes. Certainly for sports, we respect this idea of practice. We've all heard about LeBron and Serena practicing the fundamentals relentlessly, even at the height of their careers. That's true in STEM careers too and other fields, right? We know that an engineer does thousands of math problems before they're even allowed to think about working on a plan for, let's say, a bridge or a building. And thank God for that. Now, the concept of 10,000 hours of practice made popular by Malcolm Gladwell has been debunked. I also personally don't believe in the concept of paying your dues. I think that that's a very patriarchal view with roots in white supremacy. And it's interesting to me how often it is men in power using the term paying your dues. Just a side note. And it's true that some of us have advantages that speed the process. When I wrote my first novel, I'd already written nearly 500 articles at that point in time as a journalist and edited well over a million words of other people's copy. That is a lot of time with language, even if that language was not fiction. I can't tell you how long it'll take you. What I do know is that success requires practice, which takes time. If you're sitting here frustrated by how long it's taking, I want you to measure not by the distance between right now and where you want to be, because we don't know how long that will be. We just don't. But instead, by how far you've already come, that's a measurable distance. And by all of the reps that you've put in. Start thinking about the drawer drafts and the unsold manuscripts, the abandoned stories, the near misses, the comments from agents, your writing is so great, but I can't represent this, or I'm going to step aside. All of those are the shots that you took to get ready to play at the pro level. If you're mid-career, same thing. You're ready for the Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy have a great book on this. It's called The Gap and the Gain, and it's packed with research on the benefit of this approach. I definitely recommend it. I do want to circle back to the subject of toxic positivity really quickly and just let you know that there's plenty of room to say, I don't like this. And I can change the way I'm interpreting it. I wish that it hadn't taken this long. I wish I'd gone pro sooner. And all of that work will add up. And that's the absolute truth. No work is wasted. Which brings me to number four. But I'm behind. What writers really mean when they say this is I'm too late. And sometimes they just flat out say that. What's really fascinating to me is that as a coach who's worked with hundreds of writers at this point, I've heard it from writers in their 20s and those in their 70s. I've heard it from unpublished authors and those who have written 20 plus books. It is a pervasive thought that doesn't seem to have any relationship to a certain decade or point in a writer's life or even their level of success. I think it's just the human condition. Most writers feel like they should have started earlier and or they should be farther along. If you're one of them, hear this. Toni Morrison was nearly 40 when her first book was published. Sue Monk Kidd was 54 when her debut came out. Bonnie Garmus, 64 when she published Lessons in Chemistry, and Delia Owens was 69 when Where the Crawdads Sing was published. You are not too late, and you are not behind. It's not about starting earlier. It's about staying in the game. As writers, we are so lucky that we don't age out of this profession. 
Some of you have heard me say this before, but I'm going to share it again because it's so relevant. So a dear friend of mine started her author career right around the same time I did. It was more than a decade ago. And many of the authors who published their first books right around that same time, they're not around anymore. They're not publishing. And she and I, this writer, we talked about how so much of our success isn't about being the best. It's not us being self-deprecating. In fact, you may be listening to this and thinking that you don't like my books that much. Totally fine. We succeeded because we stayed in the game. And honestly, that is the single biggest reason to work on your mindset. If you feel lousy much of the time, you are simply more likely to quit. So this friend and I, we kept publishing. And some of our books didn't work out as well as others. Some didn't sell at all. Sometimes we had to make changes to publishers, to our publishing approaches, to editors, to branding. But longevity is how you build a readership, which is how you make this a successful career. It's how you make money, too. And we don't talk about that nearly as much as we should. Financial success as an author is rarely owing to one novel. I know that happens sometimes, but statistically, not for most of us. Success is owing to many books. Every book you publish has the potential to bring in passive income. Each new book has the potential to bring new readers, too, to your old books, right? And every time you write, you get a new shot at success. So I want you to focus less on when you started and more on how long you intend to do this. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm a lifer. There's no expiration date, and I just love that. Last but not least, number five, but Camille, writers have to do too much now. I've been in publishing in some capacity for 23 years at this point, right? A lot has changed. I remember being at the Radcliffe Publishing course 23 years ago, some guy from Amazon coming in and we were all like, what's this Amazon thing? Amazon is now my publisher. Things change. And at this moment in time, the thing that I have noticed that authors are the most upset about is the amount of marketing we're expected to do compared to even four to five years ago. Is this fair? I don't think so, personally. I'm going to argue that it's not. I'm going to argue that it's also why self-publishing is blowing up and giving traditional publishing a run for its literal money. And I think that these newer expectations are an opportunity for each of us to take the reins of our careers and create success for ourselves instead of waiting for someone else to create it for us. We are creators. I'm going to quote Sky Warren here. If you're not familiar with her, she's a remarkably successful indie romance author who also teaches writers about advertising. She says, if you don't accept responsibility for what happens in your business, then who is responsible? Wow. The demands on authors have changed. I think it's highly unlikely that they're going to go back, and we can work with that. Demands changing does not mean you have to do everything, and I think that's where this overwhelm comes in. There's a misconception that you have to throw all the spaghetti at the wall all at the same time. Instead of doing that, I want you to steal a classic business principle that many an entrepreneur has used to create success. And by the way, it is very beneficial to begin thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur in that you are the one-woman owner of your author business, even if you traditionally publish. And that strategy is pick one thing, go all in on it, master it, and then add something else. Also, I just want to remind you that you can say no. Whether it's stuff on your own to-do list, something that your publisher, or publicist, or agent suggests, 
Whatever the thing is, you don't have to say yes to everything. Any one thing you say yes or no to is not going to be the thing that makes or breaks your career. Trust me. At this moment in time, I'm not on TikTok. I don't want to create that time. I may change my mind. And that's the key, is to keep your mind open. Be willing to pivot. When you realize that there's a different way, there's something you can try, maybe that you were even wrong, be willing to shift. The truth about publishing is that like everything else in life, change is the one true constant. So why not use that as your competitive advantage? Be willing to pivot as many times as necessary in order to create the success that you seek. Now here is my call to action, the one game changer for you. We are storytellers, every single one of us. Let's start telling better stories about what's possible for us and what's up ahead for us. As writers, we know we're telling stories when we write. But the truth is most of our thoughts are interpretation, aka stories, not facts. Publishing is so hard to break into. It's easier for other writers. It's going to take a long time for me to reach my goals. I have to do things I don't want to, like use social media to succeed. I can't. Every one of these may sound like a fact to your brain, but they're stories. That's important because when we tell stories that make us feel miserable, defeated, discouraged, anxious, depressed, otherwise less than our best, we show up differently for our author careers. Again, this is just basic cognitive behavioral science. If you don't believe you can just yet, surround yourself with people who do. Start with me. I have absolute certainty in you. Now, I have science to back this up too. It's called the Pygmalion effect, aka the Rosenthal effect. Other people's expectations greatly influence us, especially when there's someone we admire or listen to. If someone repeatedly tells you and behaves as though you can, you are far more likely to. You will begin to live into that story. Unfortunately, this works in the other direction too. If someone believes that you can't, you are more likely to not. So be really careful about who you spend time with and listen to when it comes to your writing career. Now, you don't have to repeat things you don't believe. In fact, I encourage you not to because your brain is unlikely to accept it. But you can and should slowly begin to shift your thoughts so that you're telling a story that makes you feel better. So instead of I can't, I want you to try maybe. Maybe I can. Maybe I'm capable. I'm learning. I'm in the process of. I am becoming. It's happening. If you keep that up, you will get to I can. And then you'll get to I did. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and happy writing. For more resources on creating an even better author career, including free webinars and the You Should Write a Book newsletter, visit evenbetter.co. That's dot C-O. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to leave a brief review. If you already have, thank you. And thanks for tuning in.